When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. My guest today on the Softest Steel podcast is Eric Miller, a highly accomplished leader who has applied his experiences to the design of his business enterprise, EMC, Eric Miller Consults. He navigates the complex world of personal and business development with an expert hand, leading not one, but two specialized branches of EMC, Owner's Ally, and the New Mindset Academy. In his words, we help professionals master focus, emotions, relationships, and performance to unlock their full potential and succeed in life and business. Bravo. I invite incredible people who have in common, among other things, an understanding and appreciation of the essential value of building relationships in all parts of their lives. They are leaders who recognize their role in those relationships, producing great results for the organizations they lead and the people they serve inside and outside their organizations. Eric is one of those people. I may be taking liberties a bit when I say that my guest gets this. And when I talk about love, inclusion, social justice, mental wellness, addiction, and suicide, Eric is nodding his head in agreement with my messages because he speaks about some of the same things and actually all of those things as well. And we just met last week. Oh, and he talks about soft skills, <laughs> so, something I have a few things to say about. Yes, you I'm, do. I do indeed. I'm so delighted to have the opportunity to talk with my guest, Eric. Welcome to the Soft to Steel podcast. Hey, Dennis, and thanks for having me on. I did my diligence in learning more about you, and I can see why you wanted to have me on the show. I love what you're doing. Good. Thank you for saying that. And I thought you were going to say, and I was having second thoughts and was thinking about being sick today. <laughs> but uh, no, thank you very much. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, really. You know, again, things happen for a reason. Uh, and I think we both have a, a common belief in that, that notion. And so we met for a reason. And the reason is that uh, your body work is incredible. Uh, my body work, uh, I'll, be, I'll be humble, is a good body of work. But you've done some great, great things. Great body of work. Well, thank you. You know, but you know, but I've only been at this part of my journey for the last ten years, at most, maybe even really the last several years. But I, you know, I think we both come at this from a very, uh, I would say, it's a combination of a very practical point of view, but also a very optimistic and maybe uh, somewhat naive point of view. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean that uh, you know, I, I talk in very simple terms. When I wrote my book, Soft as Steel, I talked to a bunch of people uh, when I was writing that book recorded 36 or 40 conversations from which I took, literally took tidbits out of those conversations, incorporated them in in how I conveyed the message about the importance of soft skills. And a very boots on the ground, very fundamental, very straightforward, and, and very practical is the end. My optimism is in people. And I think, again, that almost everything I'm saying, it's not from my direct experience. You could probably say, yeah, I agree. Or yeah, I would, I'd say the same thing, or I'd say it similarly. What we do in our common uh, interests is is about people 
specifically in both cases, not just people generally, although that's important as well, particularly as it relates to our common view with regards to the value and importance of relationships and relationship building, but in, in particular, people who are leaders, not necessarily at the top of the organization, but people who are leaders in business enterprises and other places. What are your, some of your first thoughts on my opening? Well, it's beautiful. Beautifully said, you can tell your expressions of love. We'll stay on that premise, that word. I, I've found that we bring together the what's common ground instead of looking at the differences when we love. Mm-hmm. And that, that's very powerful. In my journey, it took me a long time to get to this train of thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I talk about love, uh, you know, based on my understanding of the body of work of my mentor, a guy named Steve Farber, who I'm sure in, in leadership circles, you're familiar with Steve. And his four tenets of leadership are the framework of a, an event that I did last year for a live event. I talk about it in one way or another in every one of these conversations. So we've gotten right to it uh, right at the beginning of the conversation. And those four elements are love, inclusion, social justice, and the last thing, leadership. And those are, to me, those are the tracks of messaging that I think need continual emphasis and continued energy in order to carry those messages to try to make the world a better place. And you focus in a, in a, in a very complete, thorough, and impressive way on not, not, just, not just talking with leaders in a consultative mode, but teaching leaders and also then coaching them on, on how to use the things that, that you've learned and the things that your research has, has, has brought you to an understanding about, uh, which all leads to what I could call even transformational leadership or transformational style of leadership. It's much more than just you know, being really knowledgeable, which is important as a leader, but also being a person who demonstrates uh, a continual daily focus on caring about people. What are your thoughts? I have a handful of mentors that have really shaped my life from an early boss when I was in my 20s to a spiritual director that I have now. And one of Richard's core things that he says over and over again, I've seen this in different formats and different places in spirituality and in leadership. And that's that unless you transform pain and transform challenges, which transform means letting go of those things in the past and focusing on what's important now. You'll transmit that unresolved resentments and things to people around you, people at center of influences, the, the people that you influence. You know, growing up, we were very, very poor. And my 13th birthday, we had two things in the cupboard. We had potatoes and Bisquick. Hmm. Both of those things did not make a very good 13th birthday party. <laughs> So I was from the basement working up where, again, very, very humble beginnings. But I, I had this attitude against other people of other other color, skin color, other religions that that why do they get to be recognized when we're so poor as a white white man? You know, mm-hmm. so but I didn't realize that all those years that it took me to understand now being in my 50s that, you know, I may have been in the basement starting out. But people that are not included and the equality that they don't get will start off underneath the basement before mm-hmm. they can get to the basement. Mm-hmm. So it, it really transformed me. I think these things for me and for a lot of people that I work with has been brought to light as a result of the last three years we've experienced with 
COVID with our political environment in the United States and with our economic challenges that we still face today. Mm-hmm. So these things that disruption brings about opportunity. And I see that in emerging leaders and mid-level managers, why I love them so much, love serving these people, is that they do what you said earlier, they do have the power and the ability to be able to make huge differences. You know, they're the go-between usually between the worker bees of the professionals and their executives, the executive team. So these people are really experiencing a lot of things right now. And the top two are fear and early decision-making challenges. So Mm -hmm. having overcoming fear, being able to do that and being able to make early decisions. Yeah. I had a conversation yesterday, just yesterday with a millennial uh, who's in a, in a, upper management role with a, a fairly large engineering and construction management firm in Seattle. Yeah, and I was moved to say to him you know, that, we, you know, that uh, I'm so delighted to know you because you're one of those individuals who we need in, in industry to lead us into the future. It's not for my generation. We tried, and now we're leading us away from the future in some ways in terms of our thinking and our, and our long-held beliefs based on how we were raised in an environment that was not disrupted, uh, that was on, on the surface very calm. And just, you know, a phrase like, you know, I, I remember this when I was, I remember, you know, macaroni and cheese on Friday nights when I was growing up. I don't remember, you know, people that didn't look like me. And they were around, but I didn't, I don't, didn't remember any of that as I grew up. And now we're, again, you said it very well, and you mentioned the three elements of it, a once-in-a-lifetime passing of time that we've experienced that related to the pandemic. And you touched on each of the three elements that, that, that are, were clearly evident in bringing about how it was handled, how we lived through it, and then the impact that it's had on people. And I'll say first from a negative perspective, and that is that, again, one of the things that I know you're very tuned into is diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, and you also are tuned into the issues that relate to people's well-being. And I, I call it, I refer to it as mental wellness is kind of the umbrella term. And one of the things that came out of the pandemic was increases in mental health problems, increases in addiction, increases in suicide, increases in abuse of opioids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're still suffering from that in, in, in industries across our, our society. I happen to be, spent a lot of my time in an industry that is, that is doing much worse than business in general, and that's the construction industry. What's your, what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, I think that, and I've studied a lot about addiction, so I do have that in my history. And I can um, fairly, I, I say this to be helpful to be able to offer some, maybe some hope for people that are struggling with addictions, because certainly that it can be anything. It can be food, it can be sex, it can be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be a lot of things. Being attached to anything, we're, we're created that way to be attached to Mm -hmm. things and people and places and that sort of thing. So going on nine years of complete sobriety for me, that it was the extremes and coping, changing my state. So changing my emotional state and the state of being is why I use those substances and alcohol to change because I didn't feel good. So that these soft skills that you talk about that are, are life changing, why are soft skills so hard to master? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard that before, and maybe you've, you've said that yourself. That it, it's true that these soft skills are, I mean, IQ is important, but EQ, in my opinion, is even more important. Emotional yes. intelligence, uh, those things are, are what I've 
coached and consulted and advised organizations and individuals where their lower quotient of emotional intelligence kept their organization from growing, kept mm-hmm. the individual from growing. So being able to um, overcome the fear and making a, a good plan is a start I find with working with these people. Having a, a plan in place is you can't really promise uncertainty. It's going to be okay. You have to promise that here's a way out. Here's a way we can move forward. Here's a way that we can solve these problems. And mm-hmm. it expands from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned now for the second time fear, which you know is 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 interesting because you know, there are a variety of, of phrases around fear. One is fear is the absence of faith, mm-hmm. which is something that I believe. And I think that extends again in a very practical way. Uh, some might jump and say, "Oh, you're talking about spirit. Don't start talking about spiritual stuff, pal. That's a little, uh, you know, that's not out. That's out there. We don't talk about that stuff." Well, I do, but but what's more important is that it it, it doesn't have to be faith in something that's much bigger than us. Although although that's not a bad idea, it simply has to be faith in yourself rather than living in fear. As a leader, if you have faith in, in your abilities, particularly to connect to people. And then to be able to motivate people with your vision for whatever the purpose is that you are together, that's where the opportunity is. Fear versus faith. Your thoughts? Definitely being solid with yourself to be able to transmit the vision and mission. So being able to transmit the, the values of the organization, but it does come from the soft skills that you, you work with in, in mm-hmm. helping leaders to up-level those soft skills. So being able to work on themselves first. So back to the whole transform or transmit. I mean, you've seen the angry boss, the over-demanding boss out there leading, the micromanaging boss, the one that blames all the problems on the worker bees, so to speak, when really I've had, I can't tell you how many times I've been brought into an organization when they say, fix my team. Mm-hmm. And where, where does that start, Dennis? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It's uh, over there, the, those four people sitting right there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's incredibly difficult for any human being, and in particular in a, in, a, in a fast-paced environment where there are many challenges, to be able to recognize uh, the fact that you need to change. You need to look at yourself honestly uh, and be willing to change things about yourself to permit improvement in the relationships with the people that you lead. Because if you don't change, they're going to continue to see the way they they do. And again, you and I both know, we say it a lot, I'm sure you say it a lot to clients, that if you're in a leadership role, particularly if you happen to be, you know, in that in that role at the top of an organization, everybody is looking at you. And everybody is listening to what you say and and watching what you do. And if it, it in their minds, if it doesn't reconcile if the words and the actions don't come together, that's when their confidence in you ends. And to try to reestablish that confidence, even with the most gifted communicator, is a very challenging task at best. Your thoughts? <laughs> um, you mentioned something earlier about change. And in my experience, I'm sure you can relate to this, and you've helped others to make huge changes because of the result of these things. So you mentioned love. And I'll mention the other one, that's pain. So as human beings, human psychology is we run from pain towards pleasure. Mm -hmm. So when you have a moment in someone's career, for example, I have a client now that's been now divorced four times. This person is not even 30 yet. So there's extreme amount of pain in what's happening with them. 
So that's an opportunity for, for change. So maybe you can relate to this in, in a way that is in your language, but my language is what's the compelling purpose for someone. So when you have that, that pain or love, the extreme ends of that, those, those spectrums, that what's the compelling purpose to make the change? So working with that client is figuring out what their compelling purpose is in their life moving forward. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. And I'd say that uh, additionally, that, that one, of the, one of the most constructive ways to help them understand that uh, is, to, uh, is to ask them in the, in the context of, of consulting or coaching to allow themselves to be vulnerable and to seek the feedback of the people that they lead so that you can see through their eyes who you are, because that's, that's who you are. And you may hear things that uh, are not necessarily positive and supportive, but if they're, if they're offered in the true spirit of trying to be constructive, they are actionable. And then you, you just have to be willing to change. And again, as we, we both see over and over and over again, you know, it, it is incredibly difficult to change, but it's not impossible. It just is a, it's a question to use the term mindset in a lot of your uh, narratives. And my particular use of it here is this idea that comes from Carolyn Dweck's work on mindset. She wrote a book entitled Mindset. And she basically boils a lot of pages in research down into a few thoughts. And those few thoughts include the fact that there are basically two mindsets. One is a growth mindset, which means you can grow in in a bunch of different ways. You can learn more, you can get better at things, you can uh, you can become more ethical if you're if you're, if you're testing the boundaries of ethical conduct or you can say you know what i'm 70 years old go f yourself <laughs> you know and nothing's changing i you know which is which is all about a decision that a person makes you know and the decision is i want to grow i want to continually learn i want to listen to what eric is telling me in a training session in a coaching session whatever it may be and do everything i can to act on it in the interest of trying to improve myself to become a better and better leader. Hmm. Well said. One of my favorite, I'm reading seven books right now. And one of them I just finished was is by the author Byron Katie. And she wrote an interesting name. She wrote a book called Loving What Is. And in that, and she's got several podcasts you can find on YouTube. And one of them has to do with this topic of her book, which is vulnerability and having an open heart. So, my spiritual director says, you, you notice people that are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and look at, if you st- I love to study people. I watch a lot of biographies. I love the psychology of, of human behavior fascinates me to no end. And so you look at an individual who's in their 50s, and this person is, is negative. Everything that could possibly go wrong is going to happen to them. They have a closed heart. They have a very small box in which they live. Their world is contained in. Then I have another person who's 78 years old, who's a very close friend of mine, the most positive, vivacious lady I've ever met. She's had her share of losses in her life with relationships, deaths, children dying, uh, other relationships, business challenges and things. But she has an open heart. She's able at 78 years old to be vulnerable, which is a man, your, your demographic, a construction industry trades might not like that word mm-hmm. what the implications of that is but it is courageous to be vulnerable you know granted we have the guardrails on that vulnerability what that means in working on the job and uh leading teams and answering to a boss 
But being able to have that open heart is where you have those depth of relationships and your circles are much, much bigger, right? Who you're able to impact. Yeah. What do you think that, again, we've probably already said it, but what do you think today, and it doesn't, it's not an industry specific issue. Uh, I, I like to say that, that every, every business enterprise is a, is a business that serves people. Everyone. doesn't matter. doesn't matter whether it's a construction company, an insurance agency, a bakery. doesn't, doesn't matter. They, they, all, they all serve people. And if they do it well, they can make a living doing it uh, and maybe even build an empire doing it. But that, that's what it's all about. So I happen to spend um, you know, a good chunk of my career, most of my career, actually, in the construction industry, dealing with the kind of people you described accurately, those kind of those you know, hardened individuals you know, that uh, you know, just uh, chewing tobacco in the back of their mouth and you know, a lot of inter- very colorful language being used on a regular basis. But the point that I say to them is that, that if you want to enjoy success, you have to be willing to understand yourself and if you understand yourself, you're better equipped to be able to understand other people rather than making assumptions about people, rather than doing labeling, rather than being, you know, let biases run rampant through your mind and shut your ability down completely to see people for who they really are uh, and, and see yourself for who you really are. And hopefully you see something you like and want to build on it. But you got to be willing to look. Yes, for sure. You know, I, I like to model. I think uh, Tony Robbins is a discovered him in 1989. So I'm kind of dating myself a little bit here. I was, he's, he was talking about Kanai, constant never-ending improvement on an infomercial late night TV. And he's talking about modeling way back then. So I've had the opportunity to, to work with Tony personally, and I became one of his coaches many years back. And I've been using a lot of his methodologies today. And he talks about that you can accelerate your learning curve, accelerate your success by modeling someone who has what you have, or has, excuse me, has what you want mm-hmm. or have, I suppose. Um, and so these influential leaders out there, who are the ones you could model that are vulnerable, that are, are loving, s- smart about it? Uh, I think of many at the top of my head. I'm sure you can too. Well, yeah. And I think that the thought there is that the way they choose to lead is by, with the recognition that they are not the beginning and the end. That it's not all about them. That in, in order for you to be, have the greatest success means that you have been successful in honestly demonstrating the soft skills, the qualities that make you a person that is admired and respected. Uh, not because that was your game plan to, to become uh, admired and respected, but you just learned. And for our generation where we see great, there's, there are great leaders in every generation. There are great leaders in every age group. Uh, but the ones we see that are still around that are in my generation, I guess you're not a, a boomer. Are you a I'm boomer? Not. No, you're not a I'm boomer. Not you're a Gen Xer. Gen X. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're that, that little small group that's <laughs> had such an important, has had and has continued to have such an important impact that is largely invisible to a lot of people, you know, purely based on the numbers, if you will. It's just the size of that generation. But, but I think the, you know, the point is that what you help leaders do is to, is to look at themselves and do it in, in a manner that gives them real information, what I, and I call that real information facts about oneself, not just a, you know a rough opinion or an idea from a from a video conference call or from a workshop that they attended, but you know in an organized way working through a process that I'm sure is is part of the structure of your coaching and other consulting engagements. A process 
of fact-gathering about the leader. And I do a bit of that in, in my work under the umbrella of soft skills when I say to folks, one of the things that, you, that can help you dr- dramatically be successful in whatever endeavor you're involved in is, again, to, to really understand yourself. And, that, and, that's, and that's even more fundamental than the notion of self-awareness, which relates to, to emotions and feelings. But just understand what, you know, the, that, you're, you're a, that you're a task-oriented person or that you're an introvert. Uh, again, all terms that describe facets of a person's personality. Um, and with that understanding, you know, then, then craft how you can go about improving yourself, use your strengths, but also lean into the things that are not your strengths when it's necessary and let your, your understanding of the situation be what causes you to lean into something which you're not necessarily comfortable with. Yes. Quick story. Several years ago, uh, um, I-10, which is the outskirts of Tucson, was on the I-10 right-hand lane, and left-hand lane was a Hell's Angel. And um, I passed him on the right because the left lane was slow. So he got upset by that, that I passed him on the right. And why is that? I think for disrespect. Mm -hmm. I think for men, that can be a thing of disrespect. So I responded in a a way that I had to check myself and realize I was not able to maintain my emotional state. Mm -hmm. I let that individual get under my skin. I got under his skin. And things can quickly escalate to a point of, of catastrophe. And in business, this is not that situation. But I'm saying I related this very severe situation to to say that we have to, as leaders, be able to maintain our state. If we can't maintain our state, that is transmitted to those that we lead. So if they're saying that I'm upset about something small, like a printer not working or um, the job site, that the materials weren't delivered on time, if I am upset about that, unable to manage my state, what? how will that affect the worker bees? Yeah. And that's the whole issue of self-awareness. Being able to recognize what's going on with you at the at at, at the moment, uh, so that you have the opportunity to manage it, and that becomes difficult unless somebody points out to you that this is what's been going on with you. You've given me two, three, four examples of situations that you didn't think you could that you think you could have handled better, and here's why you couldn't have handled them any better. You didn't recognize this. You didn't understand that. Uh, so it, get, it goes back to, and I'm sure, uh, you know, again, you know, I did some coaching, a little bit of coaching. I do some peer group work. And, and when, it, when, when you turn the camera and start recording their, the thoughts of, the, of that leader, it becomes much more challenging for them because it's, it's hard. I think I was starting to say this earlier than I went off on a tangent, of, which I do often, by the way. So we've got only t- about three more hours of this because I said we're going right, to edit it good. down to, to 30 <laughs> minutes, but we're just going to talk for three hours. Okay. No, but 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 again, it's just if if you're not if if you're not willing to to stand in front of a mirror and look at yourself honestly, using uh, there are a whole range not not a limitless number, but there are a range of some very very good assessment tools, information gathering tools that help put 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 thoughts in a very concrete, actionable format. Um, that you can look at and say, yeah, well, you know, that does describe me, and this, and it, and it does explain why this is more difficult for me, or why I need when I when I see this type of behavior in a person I'm, that I'm trying to work with, trying to manage, and but also provide leadership to, that there there's something about their characteristics, something about their qualities that I needed to factor in to, to be able to have an opportunity to get better results in working with them. Mm-hmm. If I just yeah. do it my way. 
the way that it, if nobody says to me, you know, you're not seeing something's going on with Joe, and let me just share with you what I, what I believe it is and see what you think and see what you might be able to do with that. Again, is that the right path to, to try to take with your leaders? Well, I, I believe in assessments and surveys to see establish a benchmark also. So um, we have a survey tool we use. We measure 92 traits, leadership to values to self-governance, which is emotional intelligence uh, and a way mm-hmm. of thinking. How is someone, are they a conceptual thinker or are they a logical thinker? Um, how, how is it they perceive the world when they experience events? So these things are important for sure to, to get a benchmark. And then we, we send that back to the, the company we're working, we're engaged with. Here's mm-hmm. the results. Here's where we started. For example, this particular individual has a high level of self-blame. They take on too much uh, responsibility. And that's now affecting their health. It's about affecting their family. Yes, they may uh, drive a job to the completion, but what's the cost of that going to be? How can we better help them delegate? How can we help them delegate better so they're not burnt out and leave in a few years? I believe we're this watershed moment we have in history right now. We have some unique opportunities to be able to to help a lot of people. I love your work, what you're doing, working in the trades and the soft skills. I, I think that working with the, the folks you do, the folks that I do, that we're making a big difference out there. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel very strong about your work based on what I could learn from your websites, which are really nice websites, by the way. Really nice. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. At, uh, you know, mine's mine's a little, you know, kind of like uh, you know, out of a little little recipe box, but that's okay. It's all it's all good. It's all good. I, I have a, I have a bit of a of an odd sense of humor, uh, and Juan, you know, the, my producer will take care of all of that. He'll take all of my humor <laughs> completely out of this. So here, here's a, kind of the, the last thought, because believe it or not, we're already over time. And the last thought is is for you to to kind of share with our listeners as as we close uh, our conversation. If you're talking to a room full of leaders today about the world we're in right now and what the next few years looks like, what would you tell those leaders they need to be keenly aware of in order to maintain a focus on their vision, follow their calling, and effectively and lovingly lead the people they lead? writing a new book called Allied We Can, and it's how do we find the common ground instead of the common differences? So that, that applies on the job sites where, you know, if you have two opposing viewpoints coming into work because of political view, for example, and that gets talked about on, on the job, how does that distract and take away from what the mission of the organization is, yeah. what they're trying to get done? How is their role going to be played out? So by maintaining our individual states, our emotional state, when you're on the job and you're taught, hearing a difference of opinion about anything, it doesn't have to be political. It can be about how to put up that wall. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a difference of opinion, how do you maintain your emotional state and be able to collaborate? I think those are important things that what's our commonality instead of our common differences. How do how do we have these conver- these difficult conversations with people that matter the most? Yeah, and that that can start with yourself. Yeah, quite frankly, it does start with yourself. What are the questions you're asking yourself on a daily basis? When you're in traffic, or when you're going to the job, what's the conversation? What are the questions you're asking yourself? If they're negative, if you're in a bad state, you're going to transmit that to all around you. Right. That's what that 
emotional intelligence and the soft skills development that you, the great work that you're doing can help with. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Did I give you like a perfect setup for a book? That you're writing? Did, 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 <laughs> Thank man. you. Yes, you did. Yes, uh, that, that see that that was a genius stroke. That was a genius stroke. We'll we'll highlight that part where I where I give you a a, a soon to be published book promotion. Nice. You know, that's Thank kind you. of, <laughs> you're very welcome. Yeah, there's, and it's all included in the uh, in the sitting fee for this uh, event. I'll share a, a last thought with you. A question that I think maybe I mentioned to you when we when we had our conversation last week or so that relates to what you're talking about in this whole and the, the premise of your book as well. And that is a question that I put to audiences every time I talk to audiences, whether it's a workshop, a speech, or whatever. Uh, and it, and it's, it's, it lives in the world of people. And the question is this, what is one thing, without any dispute, one thing that you have in common with every other person that you see around you in this room, that you may encounter today, uh, this week, next week, next month, or for really the rest of your life, what's one thing you have in common with every other person that you come in contact with? One thing. And I love the way you illustrated that. You said that we're all different. Yeah, that's it. That's what you said. And I thought yeah. about that the whole week. I thought that is so true. We are all different. We mm-hmm. do have common things, common traits that we can find uh, common ground. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think yes. we have the desire to be loved and, and to love. Yeah. I think that's the deepest level. Most people settle for connection. Yeah. But the deepest is love. Right, right. And that's a good closing thought. We we do have to start in terms of human relationships. We have to start with connection. It works differently in personal relationships, purely personal relationships, than it does in business. But there still has to be a connection. And the connection is at a human level, whether the backdrop is your community, your family, or a business enterprise and a prospective customer. So connection is is critical. And there is a strong emotional component to what connection is all about. It's not just... Nice to meet you. Firm handshake. Let's go. It's not that simple. And you know that well. Eric, maybe I should have made this an hour long thing. <laughs> I could definitely talk to you for a lot longer. I appreciate the, the good conversation and what you're doing out there. And if for my listeners, as we as we close, if you're as curious to learn more about, about this uh, incredible guy I just had a conversation with, you can find more about him at ericmiller.us. Is that right? You got it. EricMiller.us, yeah. And I don't do yes. those. I mean, so that's my second promotional <laughs> mention of you in, in this interview. Uh, that's a record breaker, by the way. The price for this interview is worth it. Thank yes, you, it sir. is. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel Podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Soft as Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Soft as Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.